Welcome to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. As a veteran senior pastor, Dr. Sullivan understands the importance of Bible teaching in the spiritual growth and development of God's people. Dr. Sullivan's method of teaching the Bible is to read and carefully explain each chapter and verse in clear and understandable terms so the student of the Bible gains the full understanding of God's Word. Now prepare yourself to learn and grow as Dr. Sullivan teaches through the Bible. Hello and welcome to another session of Teaching Through the Bible. I'm Dr. Kenneth Sullivan and today we're studying in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and I'm reading from the New International Version. So let's get right into our study. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verses 1 through 3. Let love be your highest goal but also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the gift of prophecy. For if your gift is the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking to God, but not to people, since they won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. But one who prophesies is helping others grow in the Lord, encouraging and comforting them. All right, so... The saints are urged, and so are we in our day, but these are, this letter Paul wrote specifically to the, to the uh, Corinthian saints, and they're urged to pr- pursue love first. We are urged to make love our priority, but we're also urged to earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit. And Paul said in the King James uh, that we should uh, seek earnestly the best gifts. Um, then Paul made it uh, clear. He made a clear distinction between the gift of tongues and the uh, the gift of prophecy. Paul stressed the value of prophecy over tongues because prophecy is a gift that allows a speaker to communicate to the audience in a known language. Um, he's able to communicate knowledge and enlightenment and and spiritual edification to the whole congregation and exhort them and admonish them and urge them forward in a known language. The, uh, the one who prophesies also brings comfort and encouragement. So those who are, uh, are used by the Holy Spirit to console those who are going through the uh, uh, tribulations and, and hardships, and they do it in a, a language that everyone can understand. That's the person who has the gift of prophecy and is operating in that gift. But now speaking in tongues is limited to speaking in a language that uh, no one can actually understand. And therefore, no one receives edification from that gift. Uh, there's no exhortation and there's no comfort from the gift. The, the speaker speaks mysteries uh, to God and not to the audience. So uh, there is no enlightenment. There is no increase in knowledge or understanding. So Paul valued tongues, but his greatest interest was in the gifts that could be used to, uh, to help to edify and build up the whole congregation. Now I'm reading verse four. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally in the Lord, but the one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. Okay, that's, again, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4. Those who speak in tongues strengthen or edify themselves only. Um, uh, but their knowledge, is there's no increase in knowledge. 
But those who prophesy strengthen the whole church, again, because they speak in a known language. And, and, and I'll be repeating this almost to the point of redundancy because Paul repeats it. Although his focus has shifted a bit here to talking about the gifts of tongues and prophecy, Paul is, is still teaching believers to prioritize love by placing the needs of the assembly above the needs of the, the one individual person. Speaking in tongues is a valuable gift because it benefits the person who is speaking. But prophecy is more valuable because it benefits the whole church. In chapter 13, Paul taught that love does not demand its own way, but is sensitive to the needs of others. Now he shows us a practical way uh, that love focuses on the needs of others by seeking and using gifts that builds up the whole church. Now I'm reading verse five. I wish you all had the gift of speaking in tongues, but even more, I wish you were all able to prophesy. For prophecy is a greater and more useful gift than speaking in tongues, unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church can get some, some good out of it. Paul emphasizes the value of tongues for self-edification or strengthening but he urges the pursuit of prophecy over tongues for the edification of the entire church. Paul encourages everyone to speak in tongues, but even more that they prophesy because the one who prophesies is greater, that is of, of greater benefit to the assembly than the one who speaks in tongues. Unless, Paul says, unless the person speaking in the tongues also had the gift of interpretation or someone is present to interpret tongues that, that are spoken out in the public assembly so that the church may receive edification. Now I'm reading verses six through nine. Dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you talking in an unknown tongue, how would that help you? But if I bring you some revelation or some special knowledge or some prophecy of some uh, or some teaching, uh, that is what will help you. Even musical instruments like the flute or the harp, though they are lifeless or examples of the need for speaking in plain language. For no one will recognize the melody unless the notes are played clearly. And if the bugler doesn't sound a clear call, how will the soldiers know they are being called to battle? And it's the same for you. If you talk to people in a language they don't understand, how will they know what you mean? you might as well be talking to an empty room. So here Paul re-emphasizes re the uselessness of speaking in, in a language in the assembly which no one can understand compared to communicating in a known language which brings knowledge and understanding to everyone. Uh, the supernatural nature of tongues calls the, the uh, Corinthians to overestimate its value. Uh, to the congregation. And, and many of the Corinthian saints were led to believe that the speaker was more spiritual when he spoke with, uh, spoke in tongues. Uh, they also thought that, that they were somehow benefiting from the exercise of the gift when they could not understand the speech. And so uh, everyone was speaking in tongues and, and uh, no one was interpreting and, and, and prophecy was taking a back seat. So Paul is bringing in order to this whole thing. Paul had to correct this misconception and, and teach them 
what under normal circumstances even a child would uh, would already know um, that any foreign language, if spoken without an interpreter, is useless to the listening audience. Um, I've spoken um, a number of times with an interpreter um, in Africa, and and, uh, and uh, I would speak, and, and then the people would listen. They would listen to me, but there would be no response. But once the interpreter interpreted what I had to say, then the audience would respond. They didn't respond when I was speaking in English because they couldn't speak English. A good portion of the audience could not speak English. And so, um, though I may have had a melodic, a, a, a melodic voice, a nice sounding voice, they didn't know what I was saying until it, uh, until it was interpreted. And Paul used simple reasoning to teach the Corinthians uh, what they needed to know about this subject of the use of tongues in the, in the assembly. First, he used uh, me- uh, musical instruments to illustrate the necessity of clear communication. If a musician played a song that is well known, but, but he does not play it in the, in the notes, the, uh, the right notes uh, that are familiar, no one would recognize the tune being played. Paul also uses the sound of, of the trumpet in battle. Um, since ancient time, trumpets have been used at, uh, on the battlefield to, to, commute, to communicate uh, with soldiers because uh, the sound of the trumpet could be heard above the, uh, the battle noise, the noise of the battle. And so uh, Paul is saying that soldiers were trained to recognize certain combinations of notes sounded on the trumpet. One set of notes commanded them to charge, and uh, another set of notes commanded them to retreat, to withdraw from battle, uh, to run away. Uh, and, and Paul explained that if the soldier who was sounding the trumpet did not uh, sound the combination of notes that are familiar to the soldiers on the field, none of them would understand uh, the command and chaos would ensue. They wouldn't know what to do. In the same way, those who speak to an audience must speak in a known language in order to be understood. And this is what Paul is, is laboring to, to convey to them in their time and, of course, to us today, because uh, these words are still valid in our time. Now I'm reading verses 10 through 11. There are so many different languages in the world, and all are excellent for those who understand them. But... To me, they mean nothing. I will not understand people who speak those languages, and they will not understand me. So Paul is saying that the purpose of language is communication, to convey understanding. If we speak to someone in a language that they do not understand, there is no benefit in it. So tongue should be used to address, uh, uh, should not be used. Tongue should not be used to address a public assembly because there's no benefit to them since no one understands what is being said. But speaking privately to God has benefit because God understands the language of the Spirit. So a person can use tongues in their own private uh, worship time, in their own uh, uh, private prayer time. They can pray and, and they will be 
lifted up in their spirit, even though they won't know what they're saying. God understands what they're saying. Uh, um, um, if it's a legitimate um, tongues or language that of the spirit, then um, there's a blessing in it. But Paul is discouraging people speaking out in tongues in the public as assembly. He is urging them to con control that, that urge to just let go uh, with a volley of tongues in the assembly. Now I'm reading verses 12 through 14. Since you're so eager to have spiritual gifts, ask God for those that will be of real help to the whole church. So anyone who has the gift of speaking in tongues should pray also for the gift of interpretation in order to tell people plainly what has been said. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't, I don't understand what I'm saying. So the Corinthian saints were eager for the gifts of tongues, but were misusing this gift by speaking out in the assembly without the benefit of an interpreter. And Paul urged those seeking spiritual gifts to seek those gifts, uh, like the interpretation of tongues or prophecy that would edify the whole church and not just uh, benefit the, the speaker. Paul doesn't imply that the gift of tongues should not be exercised, but that tongues with interpretation and prophecy are more profitable in edifying the whole congregation. I'm saying that repeatedly, I know, almost to the point of redundancy, but it's an important point. Uh, um, Paul is repeating it again and again. Paul is seeking to teach the Corinthian saints the importance of serving the needs of the entire body with the gifts that could be used to serve others. So he's telling them, focus on gifts that can serve and benefit other people. From verse 14, it is revealed that tongues can be a prayer language. However, when engaging in this kind of prayer, there is no benefit regarding knowledge or understanding. There is benefit to the human spirit, but not to the human understanding. So that's important to note, and Paul is making that point. Now I'm reading verses 15 through 17. Well then, what shall I do? I will do both. I will pray in the spirit and I will pray in words I understand. I will sing in the spirit and I will sing in words I understand. For if you praise God only in the spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you are saying? You will be giving thanks very nicely, no doubt, but it doesn't help the other people present. So the goal is to get the saints to stop thinking as individuals and begin thinking uh, of the community or the body of Christ, the entire assembly. Paul said uh, to benefit the whole body, he would pray in the spirit and follow it up by explaining what he said. He would sing in the spirit and follow it up by singing in a language of the listening audience so that the whole assembly could sing to the praises of God in a known language. Now, when Paul said, I will pray in the spirit and, and pray with the understanding, he said, and then he says, I'll sing in the spirit, sing with the understanding. The expression in the spirit is a reference to speaking in tongues here and uh, praying in tongues in the public. Uh, 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 so Paul is saying that I, I'll sing in the spirit 
I'll pray in the spirit. He's talking about uh, praying in tongues and singing in tongues. Now, praying in tongues in the public assembly was a problem because, again, no one understood what was being said. The solution, according to Paul, was to pray both with the spirit, that is, in tongues, and the understanding also, the interpretation, so that um, those who are in the listening audience can benefit. Now, if the gift of interpretation is not present in the assembly, then public prayers should only be done in the language of the assembly. It should only be done in the known language, and, and, and no one should stand up and uh, pray in a uh, long volley in tongues. Paul is saying that that's out of order. Now, in his epistle to the Romans, Paul made reference to uh, what in part could be described as, as heavenly language. Uh, and he says here, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our distress, but we don't even know what we should pray for, nor how we should pray. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us, us believers in harmony with God's own will. That's again, Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27 in the New Living Translation. So this description from Paul includes, but is not limited to, speaking in tongues. There are, there are times when deep in private prayer, a Christian may resort to groanings that in some way communicate to God without the limitation of human speech, but also uh, without utterance in tongues. Sometimes there's just a groaning. And then sometimes there is uh, the speaking in tongues and speaking in, in your known language. There are many ways to a number of ways to worship God in, in our private prayer time. But Paul makes the point that God understands the language of prayer. These groanings or prayers are sometimes accompanied by prayer in understandable language and sometimes in unknown tongues. Whatever the case, they speak to God in ways that are clear and understandable to him. Um, and in a perfect harmony with his divine will. So uh, it's okay to pray that way in our private uh, time, devotional time with God. I think it's wonderful to do that. And Paul, and certainly the scripture um, uh, says it as well. Now I'm reading verses 18 through 19. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in a church meeting, I would much rather speak five understandable words that will help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. So Paul made it clear that he spoke with tongues more often than anyone else in the Corinthian church. This validated tongues as a legitimate gift, but he made it clear that tongues were not useful in edifying the church. To drive home his point, Paul said he would rather speak five words in a known language for the benefit of everyone than uh, 10,000 words in an unknown tongue, okay? So those who are attempted uh, to, to forbid the use of tongues in either private or public worship neglect verse 18 while emphasizing verse 19, okay? But Paul said, um, I speak in tongue more than all of you, okay? So we can't sweep that under the rug. 
Uh, he also said in the public assembly, I'd rather, I'd rather speak ten, um, uh, five words in a known language than 10,000 in an unknown tongue because the known language benefits others. So Paul is saying that tongues is good, but it's not useful uh, for instructing others or, or informing other people. Again, the apostle is careful not to convey the idea that tongues are of no value. He only seeks to balance the value of speaking in tongues with the greater benefit of prophesying because prophecy increases knowledge and understanding and tongues does not. Now I'm reading verse 20. Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babes when it comes to evil, but be mature and wise in understanding matters of this kind. Okay, so to have a childish understanding of the speech gifts, and that's what we're talking about. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy are the gifts of utterance or the speech gifts. And uh, Paul is saying, don't, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. And to be childish is to think uh, that these gifts are a badge of spirituality and that you are showing your spirituality, uh, how spiritual you are when you operate in these gifts. Um, they're not just something just to show off and enjoy um, uh, or something to feed our pride. That's a childish attitude toward the gifts. The mature understanding of these uh, gifts of utterance is to seek to use the gifts to the benefit of the whole assembly. We should seek to be innocent when it comes to doing evil, okay? And uh, we should not uh, try to use the gifts as a, as a means of, of expressing our spirituality and getting people to think that we are more than what we are. Now, verses 21 through 22. It is written in the scriptures, I will speak to my own people through unknown languages and through the lips of foreigners, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So you see that speaking in tongues is a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. Now, this quote that Paul just um quoted here is from the book of Isaiah chapter 28 and 11 and 12 when he says um, I will speak to my own people through unknown languages and through the lips of foreigners. Um, it was a warning in Isaiah's day from God to Israel that since they had not listened to the prophets who spoke their language um, um Hebrew, I, guess, I, I believe, was the, was the chief language at that time. Um, they weren't listening to their uh, to the prophets in their native language. Of course, a lot of these people were bilingual and they spoke uh, um, several different languages because of exposure to other people, so many other people. Um, but but God is saying, "I've spoken to you in your known language, in your native tongue, and you wouldn't listen to me." And so. Uh, I'm going to send you away. God is threatening to exile them. I'm going to send you away to a foreign land, and you will uh, you will listen to the voices of foreigners there. God dis did disperse Israel into foreign nations. He sent them into exile. Um, Israel went into uh, Assyria. Uh, Judah uh, went into Babylonia, and uh, they were 
in captivity in, in Babylon for, for 70 years. And um, over the years, the Jews began to speak the languages of the nations in which they lived. So the Jews were dispersed to other other nations and picked up their languages. And certainly Paul, uh, God, God was telling them uh, that he was going to do that. He was going to put them in these foreign lands. Paul went on to say that tongues were a sign for those who did not believe. On the day of Pentecost, uh, the Jews from all over the world, those Jews who had been dispersed, some of them uh, stayed dispersed. They, they began to prosper in these other nations uh, after God dispersed them. Uh, all of them never came back. Some of them stayed and they would go up to Jerusalem to, to worship during the feast days, the special days of celebration. So uh, on the day of Pentecost, Jewish people from foreign nations all over the world, that part of the world, uh, had descended onto to Jer Jerusalem. And they were there. Um, they, they spoke uh, multiple languages, but there was a sign to them. After speaking in tongues himself, uh, Peter stood up and spoke to those listeners there. On the day of Pentecost, of course, uh, the Holy Spirit fell and um, all of the 120 people who were in the upper room began to speak in other languages. They were speaking in the languages of the people who had come uh, for the celebration, the, the Jewish people from all over the world and the, and the proselytes, those who had converted to Judaism, they were there. And they heard them speaking in all of these different languages in their own uh, known language from, from the land that they had adopted, they had gone into. And Peter was among them. And this was a sign to those uh, unbelievers, those Jews who had not accepted Jesus uh, as being the Messiah, um, the tongues got their attention. It was a sign to them to get their attention. And after speaking in tongues himself, Peter stood up and spoke to them in a known language and explained what it all meant. In a sense, Peter interpreted the tongues or the languages that the newly spirit-filled disciples had spoken in. The tongues that accompanied the Holy Spirit's outpouring on that day of Pentecost were in different, again, the different languages of the Jews that were, were, were present. And uh, they had not even learned those languages, but supernaturally God had given them the gift to be able to speak those languages, even though, even though they didn't know themselves what they were saying. But the people who were there knew what they were saying and it got their attention. So the Jews who had not believed were now convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. Those tongues were assigned to them. The tongues got their attention. Peter explained it all to them in a sermon, and 3,000 uh, people uh, became believers and followed Christ. Now I'm reading verses 23 through 25. Even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting and hear everyone talking in an unknown language, they will think you're crazy. But if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be con convicted of sin and they will be condemned by what you say. As they listen to your secret, uh, as they listen, their secret thoughts will be laid bare and they will fall down on their knees and worship God 
declaring God is really here among you. So Paul condemns speaking out in tongues in the assembly without an interpreter because it is detrimental to the goal of bringing people to Christ. Unbelievers, Paul said, will think you're crazy. If you're you're speaking out in tongues and there's no interpretation, there's no prophecy, and people don't know what you're saying, and you're not uh, interpreting what you're saying so that they can gain the knowledge, they'll just think that you're crazy. They've fallen into a, a, a den of chaos. Such behavior leaves the saints open to undue criticism and skepticism. Those who enter the assembly who may be seeking answers about Christ will be driven, driven away from the assembly, thinking that there are no answers in this church, only chaos. And on the other hand, if everyone is prophesying, speaking in clear, understandable language, those who enter will be convinced that God is really in the group because very often uh, words of prophecy conveys secret things. God knows the hearts of people and he knows what people have been doing. And, 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 and very often uh, a pastor or minister will will prophesy maybe without even re- realizing that the spirit of prophecy has come upon him as he's preaching his sermon uh, because he'll, uh, he will reveal things about people and people in the audience will, will wonder who told him that, you know, I've had that uh, experience myself. I'm, uh, I'm preaching and, and some of my, uh, my children's friends were in the service and, and, and they began to ask, what did you tell your dad about me? You know, uh, you're just preaching the word and God is using your words and, and delivering them to the hearts of the people. Prophecy has the capacity to convict people of their sins. Tongues without interpretation do not. Prophecy exposes the secrets of people's hearts. Tongues without interpretation does not. Prophecy convinces people that God is really in the assembly and that they are among genuine people of God. Tongues without interpretation does not do that. Prophecy has the capacity to lead people into fellowship with Christ. Tongues without interpretation does not. So people who experience uh, God speaking to them through prophecy and uh, and, and, and they hear the words clearly in their own language. They're compelled to worship God. They are awed by what they see and hear, and they move to worship the living God who knows their secrets yet offers his love to them. So uh, Paul is going through great lengths to con- compare and contrast these two gifts, tongues and prophecy, and he includes uh, tongues and the interpretation, the third, uh, the third gift of utterance. Now I'm reading verses, verse 26. Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize what I'm saying. When you meet, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given. One will speak in an unknown language, while another will interpret what is said. But everything is done. Uh, everything that is done must be useful to all and build them up in the Lord. So Paul criticized the Corinthians because they they all wanted to show off their gifts. They had chaos and very little order. Some spoke in tongues with no interpreter. Some uh, prophesied. Some shared revelation. Some taught and so on. And Paul reiterates the most important thing is that the whole church be built up. 
And so he's going to introduce some order how to use these gifts. With this in mind, he moves on to, to setting, he sets rules and guidelines on how to use the speech gifts in the church in a way that maintains decency and order in the services. I'm reading verses 27 through 28. No more than two or three should speak in an unknown language. They must speak one at a time, and someone must be ready to interpret what they are saying. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. Uh, first, Paul says no more than two or three people should speak in tongues in a single service. They should only speak one at a time. There should be uh, someone present who has the gift of interpretation to interpret the message in tongues. If after the first utterance in tongue goes forward and there is no responding interpretation in the assembly, um, it may be assumed, safely assumed, that there's no one present to interpret that. And no one else should speak out. That's what Paul is saying here. Now, verse 29, let two or three prophesy and let the others evaluate what is said. Now, Paul says concerning prophecy, those who prophesy should also speak two or three at, at, a, at a time. And others should listen carefully to what they say and judge it. Prophecy should be judged by weighing them against the written word of God. Okay, so people who claim to have the gift of prophecy should be ready to have their words of prophecy judged. Prophetic messages sometimes involve uh, predicting future events. If a message does not come to pass, if someone makes a prediction about God's going to do this, God says he's going to do that, and then you watch and you wait and you say, well, none of that happened. Then you know that that person was speaking presumptuously. They were not speaking by the Spirit of God, okay? And another issue, if someone gets up and they speak um, a, a so-called word of prophecy, or if it's a word of prophecy, and, um, and it contradicts something in the Bible, right? Then you know immediately that that was not God. That is the person speaking out of their own spirit. Paul said there should be someone to judge these things, that people should not just be able to just willy-nilly say what they want and, and, and with no accountability. Um, that's chaotic. And that can easily mislead people. Um, I've had to deal with issues in, 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 in our own church at a at, uh, time in, in the past where people were saying things, and, and then I just put a mic up front, and I said, okay, well, those of you who feel like you've got a word of prophecy, you've got to come up here and you've got to give that word of prophecy. Uh, but I want you to know it's going to be judged. We're going to listen carefully to what you say. Uh, and if, it, uh, if it's out of order, then we're going to let everyone know that it's out of order. Okay. So, well, that actually cut down on a lot of uh, bogus prophecies. You know, it wasn't outlawing it. It was calling it into count accountability. And that's what Paul is saying that we should do. Um, the person who is speaking should be accountable. And, and, and so the, the Bible gives us issues, information about that. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 18, 22, he talked about prophets uh, who gave a, a message, made a prediction, and it didn't come to pass. He said, don't fear that prophet. He didn't speak. They didn't speak by God. They spoke, spoke from their own imagination. Okay. 
So there is a le legitimate gift of prophecy, uh, but we have to have guidelines in order to maintain that legitimacy. Now I'm reading verses 30 through 33. But if someone is prophesying and another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who is speaking must stop. In this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak, one after the other, so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can wait their turn. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the other churches. If one person is prophesying, Paul says, and another person receives a revelation from God, the first speaker must stop and let the other person speak. Paul makes it clear that those prophesying have control and can wait their turn or defer, defer until another time in order to maintain order in the church. This is just common courtesy. Paul says um, in verse 32, remember that the people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can wait their turn. The King James reads, and the spirits of the prophet are subject to the prophets. And that's all that, that means. It means that you have control of, of uh, what you say and you can stop. I know people get happy in the service sometimes and they, and they uh, act like they can't stop, but you can stop. Common courtesy is what Paul is describing here. One of the basic social graces we're taught as children is to restrain ourselves from speaking when someone else is speaking and to allow someone else to have the opportunity to speak. Now, to operate in chaos uh, and, and disorder and confusion is to misrepresent God, who is the God of order and structure and peace, and he's not a God of confusion. Now I'm reading verses 34 through 35. Women should be silent during the church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions to ask, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. Now, Paul probably did not intend to confine women to absolute silence in the church because he gave them permission to pray, to speak in tongues, and to prophesy. Uh, he was merely responding to the conditions uh, of his culture and taking measures to make sure that everything was done decently and in order. Uh, in the ancient culture, women were co uh, commanded to keep silent at certain times and in certain ways, and they were not to be combative or confrontational with, with uh, their husbands. Their silence was meant to demonstrate submission and to avoid division in the church. Women are uh, were not uh, uh, to challenge their, their husbands or usurp authority uh, over them, but in public, but but to be in submission to their husband's authority, and that's in First Timothy two and twelve as well. Now, a culture of what we would see as sexism dominated the the Jewish culture in Paul's day, and God's way of changing cultures uh, was not always to challenge them head on, but to impact them by bringing increasing people in, uh, increasing numbers of people into fellowship with Christ. And as more and more people became Christian, Christian values of love and equality um, exerted greater and greater influence upon the culture of society. 
the values of the church gradually change the values of the larger society. Now, today, women in societies that are influenced by true Christianity enjoy much greater freedom and equality than those in other cultures. Uh, to emphasize the equality of, of all Christians, regardless to, to gender and social or economic uh, or ethnic uh, status or ethnic background, Paul wrote these words. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all Christians. You are one in Christ Jesus. That's in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 in the New Living Translation. In this one powerful statement, Paul was injecting values of, of love and compassion and equality into a culture which was hostile and, and oppressive to women. And so God has, has brought about change through the word and, and through changing people's hearts and their attitudes. Now, I'm reading verses 36 through 38. Do you think that the knowledge of God's word begins and ends with you, Christ, you Corinthians? Well, you're mistaken. If you claim to be a prophet or think you are very spiritual, you should recognize that what I'm saying is a command from the Lord himself. But if you do not recognize this, you will not be recognized. Paul wanted the, the Corinthian saints to understand the worldwide nature of the church. The uh, word of God is not localized. It's not just for uh, a local body. It is for universal application. The, the church of God all over the world walks by the same rule. As he closes this portion of his letter, Paul reaffirms his authority from God to write and teach these uh, the things that he did. Uh, he was used of God to instruct God's people and to uh, prepare um, God's people in righteousness. Now I'm reading verses 39 and 40. So dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues, but be sure that everything is done properly and in order. The speech gift should be earnestly sought after and tongues should, should not be forbidden but operated decently and in order. Now, because of all the controversy and confusion surrounding the gift of utterance, some church leaders have found it uh, to be more, uh, more convenient to forbid their use altogether. Now, Paul resisted the temptation to take such drastic uh, measures, knowing that he didn't have the authority to outlaw the gifts in the church. Paul also understood that forbidding these gifts would deprive the church of something that uh, was very useful and valuable to its existence um, and to its growth. So Paul knew that the benefits of the gifts outweighed the trouble associated with it. So the gift of tongues provided the, the actually the least amount of benefit in the assembly, but caused the greatest amount of trouble and controversy. But despite all this, Paul commanded the leaders not to forbid people to speak in tongues, okay? He had given very clear instructions about how, how all these gifts were to be governed in the church, and he expected them to abide by those. Well, that brings us to the close of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Next time, we will cover chapter 15. If you live in the Indianapolis area, I want to invite you to come and visit us at one of our services at New Direction Church, where my son, Kenneth Sullivan Jr., is the pastor, and he's doing a splendid job. Our East Campus is located at 5330 East 38th Street, and our North Campus is located at 7701 East 86th Street. Service times, 
visit our website at ndcbetterlife.org. Please join me next time at the same time for another session of Teaching Through the Bible. Uh, Until then, may God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. We hope this program has benefited you in your Christian walk. For a free download of this program and to browse Dr. Sullivan's books, videos, and audio titles, visit our website at EmergeCurriculum.com. Please tune into our next teaching session on Vision Stream Network or listen on demand from our podcast. 